I don't know about you, but that song pumps me up. Think about the words you just sang. Did you mean it? Take my life, take my love, take my what? Everything, all for you, for the sake of his name. Truly no greater joy than for us to pray that prayer and mean it and want it, recognizing that though we fall short, that's our joy. Amen? Trust that is your heart as well. We'll continue to pray for our pastor and his wife, Ken and Kelly, as they finish up. We just got an email from them yesterday. They're doing well. They're at the final and third conference. Just imagine preaching at three conferences back to back. And so this is truly a work trip. And he said that things are going well, but they are definitely ready to be back here with you. They miss you and love you. So let's continue to pray for the Ramies as they serve in South Africa. And speaking of missions, guess what today is? Missions Sunday. It's the only day of the year that we care about missions. You don't even know how to respond to that. You know that's not true. At the very least, we want to highlight it today. And I have the privilege of preaching a message that has been near and dear to my heart. And my hope for us this morning is that it would stir you as well to be about God's work done God's way in this great earth that God has given us to live in. As many of you know, my wife, my four daughters, and I had the privilege back in 2007 to become missionaries. You sent us there to the country of Albania, Eastern Europe. If the boot heel of Italy was to kick back, it would have kicked Albania, just north of Greece. We served there for nine years. When people found out we were going to Albania, they, they're like, oh yeah, isn't that in Africa? I'm like, no, that's Algeria. They began to look it up. They're like, hey, uh, do you know that's a Muslim country, right? Yeah. Muslims. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's 70% Muslim. And they would ask me, Chris, are you sure you want to take your wife and your four small daughters to a Muslim nation? It's a very, very common question post 9-11. They were like, Chris, do you know it's a poor country, right? I'm like, yeah, I've been there. They would ask me about the electricity, hours without electricity every day. They would ask me about the water, days. We went weeks without water sometimes. They're like, are you sure you want to leave here, Texas, the great country of Texas, to go there? Yeah. But what about all the sacrifices you're going to make? What about your kids' education? What's going to happen to them? God knows. It asked me why I'd be willing to sacrifice so much. Well, my response was always simple. And I typically responded like this. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Have you heard those words? He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You see, Jim Elliott sim didn't simply write that in his journal October 28, 1949. He lived those words when he went to an unreached people group deep in the Ecuadorian rainforest, in the Amazon rainforest, the Aka Indians. He went with four of his friends to bring the gospel to them because they did not know about God. And these Indians speared him and his four friends to death, killed all five of them. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So I could spend all morning quoting other missionaries. I got pumped up this week just reading all of these godly men and women who have gone. William Carey, father of modern missions to India, Amy Carmichael, Hudson Taylor to China, John Patton, remember he was the one Ken reminded us of. They didn't just want to kill him, they wanted to kill him so they could eat him. Cannibals and Nubridis. And of course, how could I forget Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of the man who just got killed, what did she do? The only sane thing a woman and mother would do, she took her daughter, went and learned the language, and then marched back into that jungle to bring the hope of the gospel. 
And do you realize today there are churches all throughout that part of Amazon rainforest watered with the blood of martyrs? Allow me to read one more quote found in Luke 9, 23 to 25. This really answers the why. Why would you go? Why would you do that? Jesus said this, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must, what? Deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his own life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? These missionaries were willing to deny themselves, to pick up their cross daily, to follow Christ, to sacrifice everything, to have the privilege. It wasn't a duty, it was their joy to go into the far reaches of the world so that they could bring the gospel to the nations. And from our limited earthly perspective, they sacrifice so many of the physical blessings that you and I enjoy. Sometimes we even often take for granted right here in America, they gave up money, they gave up health, they gave up success in the workforce here in America, in other places, they gave up physical safety, a a good education for their children. Many of them lost wives, husbands, children, and some even gave up their own lives for the sake of the gospel. And guess what? Every martyr, every missionary that is in heaven right now are saying two words, worth it. Worth it. Why? Because who is worthy? Christ. Christ is worth it because as they repented of their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ, they gained Christ. For me to live Die is gain, but to live is Christ. They had Jesus. He was enough. And so how could they not share that good news with the world around them? See, this is God's eternal, invincible, global purpose. That we would lay down our lives to make the nations glad in the glory of God through Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. And the challenge for us especially here in America, is maintaining the balance of living in prosperity. You realize you are prosperous. Do you know that? All you have to do is go anywhere else in the world, particularly in 1040 window, and you'll realize that even those of us that are in the lower income to middle income, we are living high compared to the rest of the world. We live in prosperity. How do we maintain this balance of living in prosperity while continuing to do the gospel work that we've been sent to do? Do we have the same driving passion to use all that God has given us for the sake, for the spread of the gospel? Or, and this is my fear, have we, have we, the American church, have we become consumers so caught up in our own wealth, our own comfort, our own health, that we have forgotten why the Lord saved us to begin with. Well, turn with me to Psalm 67. Psalm 67. Psalm 67, we don't know who the author is. We don't know when it was written. But we believe that this psalm more than likely was a prayer, maybe even a benediction that the priest would lead the people through. And this psalm is an expression of how a person prays when he or she is focused on investing all they've been given for the sake of bringing the gospel to the nations. It's one of my favorite psalms because God used this psalm to convict me way back in 2004 when I first began praying about the possibility of going overseas. God used this psalm to break me and send me. And I pray that our church isn't just a church that sends money, that sends teams, that sends prayer. I pray that this church is a church that sends people. And I hope you pray for that too, that we would send people to go to the nations. So in this psalm, we will observe four aspects of the psalmist's prayer for the nations. 
And as we move through this psalm, I want you to ask yourself this question. Do I pray this way? Do I have this this driving passion to see the nations glorify God? Like so many of the songs we were singing, you know that first song came right out of Psalm 67. Is that my passion? My hope for us this morning is that this prayer, Psalm 67, would become a model for us to daily follow as we labor to see the nations praise and glorify God in Christ. So follow along as I read Psalm 67. God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. The first aspect of the psalmist's prayer we find in verse 1, it's the psalmist's petition. The psalmist's petition. Notice what the psalmist prays for, begins with. God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Here the psalmist petitions the Lord for his gracious blessing on all of his people, the people of Israel. Notice how many times do you see that pronoun us? Three times. God be gracious to us, bless us, cause his face to shine upon us. They're asking for God and his grace to bless them. And notice we have this phrase, cause his face to shine upon us. Again, this is language that is drawn from the great blessing that Aaron and his sons were to bless the nation of Israel with. Turn with me over to Numbers. Keep your your, your finger in the psalm there. Turn over to Numbers 6. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, chapter 6, starting in verse 24. You'll see where this psalm is drawn from. Number 6, verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. And notice in verse 22, this is the Lord telling Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons. Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, this prayer. And see, this, this phrase provides for us an image of a king looking upon his subjects with favor, with a warm smile on his face, rather than an angry face turned away in rejection. In fact, we have a similar expression. You ever use this phrase? His face lit up. Man, that kid was, at, was opening presents on Christmas. His face lit up, Right? We also see this in another event. How many of you have been to a wedding? Yeah. None of you have been to a wedding? What's wrong with you people? Are you not celebrating the joy of matrimony? When you're at a wedding, the pastor's up front, the groom's there. The minute the bride walks into the room, where do you all look? Where do you look? At her. That's tradition. You know where I like to look? I like to look at his face because the minute he sees her walk into that room, what happens to that groom's face? Not, oh man, do I really have to marry her? His face lights up. He sees her. Ladies, do you realize in that moment you could ask him anything for anything and he would grant it? She walks up, okay, before we get this thing started, I want a motorcycle. I want 10 babies. Three of them have to be triplets. I mean, she could just have her list. Be, and his face is lit up. He looks at her. Why? Because he loves her. He wants to, to give her the moon. 
It's this idea, this picture of the face lighting up. That's what we see here in Psalm 67. If the king's face shines, he's ready to sovereignly grant the request of his people. It's almost as if the psalmist is saying, Lord, I know we don't deserve it. In fact, we deserve the opposite. But would you, according to your gracious nature, would you bless us? Bless us. Now, I know what some of you are saying. This sounds great. Why don't we preach more of these kind of sermons? I like this sermon. Bless us, O Lord. Who's with me? Nobody. You're like, that was a trick question, Chris. Blessing. Who doesn't want blessing? Well, we have a problem, don't we? I think it's possible that we have allowed the priorities of the world to confuse our idea of blessing's purpose. Think about it. What is the purpose of blessing? Let me just give you a quick short definition. In the context of Psalm 67, this is what a blessing is. You ready? A blessing is a gift from God that glorifies his name, helps his people, and through them reaches out to help others who will in turn glorify his name. Do you see the dominoes there? Let me say it in a more simple way. God blesses us so that we might be a blessing to others so that they would come to praise God. God blesses me so that I can take that blessing and bless someone else so that they would come to know and obey and love God. And that's the, the purpose of blessing. You see, God doesn't bless you so that you can have a more comfortable lifestyle. Until Christ returns. God doesn't give you more stuff. He doesn't make you healthy. He doesn't give you children or give you a harmonious marriage. He doesn't answer your prayers, give you that bonus at work all so that you can live a trouble-free life on Easy Street. That's not why he sent his son to die for you. So while this concept of blessing does contain the idea of receiving good things, even the psalmist mentions later on a the idea of harvest, which is a physical blessing. There is a foundational principle that we must never forget here. To be spiritually blessed is to know God. To be spiritually blessed is to know God. Because this simple truth must be the foundation of all of the blessings that we receive, take, and enjoy including the possession of material things, including having a happy life. Because if knowing and delighting in our personal relationship with the Lord is not at the foundation of everything we do, what's the risk that we run? We will begin to love God's gifts more than whom? The good gift giver. We begin to love God not for who he is, what he's done is doing and will do, but more for what we get out of it. If God was to take away every good physical gift he's ever given us, take away our health, take away our family, take away our home in the next great hurricane, take it all away, the blessing of our salvation should be enough. Christ should be enough. I mean, think about it. How can a, a, a man or woman that's being persecuted right now, rotting in prison, they have been separated from their family. They have been tortured. Their things have been taken away from them. Why can they sit in jail right now as we enjoy church here in Texas, worshiping and praising God? How is that possible? They don't have any of those physical blessings, but what do they have? What can that torturer, that prisoner, that, that, the person who's imprisoning them never take away? Christ, the hope of heaven, to know and love and be known by God. Their salvation, their hope of heaven is enough. So when God blesses us with good things, we should thankfully enjoy them. But then we should turn around and use them for God's glory. I'm not disputing this truth. After all, that's what 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19 says. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19, Paul instructs Timothy. He says, Timothy, tell those in your congregation who are rich in this present world not to fix their hope on what? If you're rich 
What do you tend to fix your hope on? You put your trust in. Your riches, your money. Paul says instruct them not to do that. But instead, instruct them to fix their hope on whom? Who's the one who made them rich? Fix your hope on God. And then Paul says something amazing in this section. He says, God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. How does God supply us? Richly, bountifully, with all things, everything you have. So I guess you got to take it and enjoy it. And okay, fine, God, thanks for this thing. No, what does he say? Enjoy it. All the blessings God's given you, physically, spiritually, thank him for it, use it, enjoy it. That pleases God. But then in verse 18, Paul says something amazing. He says, but tell them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Those things, as you thank God for them and enjoy them, those blessings that you receive, your health, the money, all of those things, you take them, and then what do you do? You turn around and you look for a way to do good and to share with those in need. So I'm not disputing the truth that we should thank God and enjoy the good blessings that he gives us. But what I am challenging is the way that many American Christians, myself included, have a tendency to purposely use their God-given blessings primarily for their own comfort, their own enjoyment, rather than the purpose that it was intended. Now think about this, church. If I begin to put my love and my affection on something more than God, what does the Bible call that? Tell me. Say it like you mean it. Idolatry. I am worshiping that thing. I am praising that thing. I am finding delight in that thing. That's my concern for us, the American church. So here in verse 1 of Psalm 67, the psalmist prays for God's gracious blessing. Bless me, O Lord. Cause your face to shine upon me. But here in verse 2, we find the reason why the psalmist is asking for the Lord's blessing. Notice a progression from each of these four aspects of the prayer. So in verse 1, we see the psalmist's petition. In verse 2, we see the psalmist, what is it? Purpose. The psalmist's purpose. Let me read verse 2. That your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all the nations. So in this verse, psalmist reveals God's great purpose to be what? Known among whom? All the nations. Now notice the grammar. As we study and interpret the Bible, grammar is very important. I know you love grammar. That's why you couldn't wait to get out of school and take more school just to learn more grammar. Whenever I do bad grammar, my wife corrects my grammar. That's what I love most. Apparently, someone else has that happen. God, be gracious to us, bless us, cause his face to shine upon us. God, do this. What's the first word in verse 2? That. We could almost add a so that. God, do this so that this will happen. We call that purpose. Why does the psalmist pray, petition for God's blessing? Why is he asking God to bless Israel? Well, it was so that other nations would learn of God's favor, would turn to God and experience his salvation themselves. This is the ultimate goal, which will be fully, fully realized when Christ returns. And what's amazing, this whole process was really an outworking of God's covenant promise with Abraham that he made back way in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Again, we taught this passage a lot last summer during our end time series. I'm not going to turn to it, but you remember God is promising Abraham through you, through your family, through the seed that comes out of from you and your wife is going to come blessing. And he says, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. What is he talking about? He's talking about through Abraham would come a nation, Israel. Through that nation, Israel would come the son of David, line of David, I should say, and from the line of David, who ultimately came? 
Christ our Messiah. How was God going to keep his covenantal promise with Abraham way back in Genesis 12? Well, the psalmist knows this. How is it going to come? The psalmist is looking forward to a coming Messiah. Now, for those of us this side of the cross, we look back and we go, well, who is this Messiah? Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, come from heaven to earth because of our sin. Jesus lived the perfect life, died on the cross, three days later rose again from the grave to prove not only that God accepted his sacrifice in our place, but that he had power over death. He could grant eternal life. So that for those of us who would recognize our need for a Savior, turn from our sin or whatever it is we think is saving us to Christ and beg God for forgiveness, the promise of Scripture is that you will have forgiveness. And that's what Jesus Christ did for us. That's this, this foundation upon which this spiritual blessing is based on and what he's asking for. And what did Jesus Christ do? The moment you and I repented of our sins and put our faith in him, he took our sin, put it on the cross, and what did he give us in return? His perfection, his righteousness, his holiness, so that he took our death so that we could have his life. In fact, that's an offer for those of you here this morning that do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ is offering that to you this morning. You never know what God is going to do. Last Sunday, there was a man who came to our church for the first time. Dennis Hahn shared the gospel with him during equipping hour. And that man professed to receive Jesus Christ. Last Sunday. I'm sorry, do you get excited about that? Somebody who was damned and going to hell is going to heaven. Because one man cared enough to ditch my Sunday school class to share the gospel with him. That's how this covenantal promise came from Genesis all the way through to the families of the earth so that you and I could have hope in Jesus. And as the Lord blesses us with salvation, as he showers us with so many good gifts, our response should be one of what? Well, okay, God, thanks, I guess. Is that the response? Wow! Not only did I deserve damnation, you took that away. But you made me, you adopted me, a son, a daughter. And not only that, you give me eternal life, but you bless me now. Praise be to God. Thank you, Lord. And as we live our life according to his ways, again, that's what the psalmist is praying, that your way may be known. What's his way? Who he is and what he tells us to think and do and speak, to follow Christ. As we live his way in obedience to his word, what's going to happen? The people around us are going to see the life of Christ shining through us. And every blessing of God should be used to spread the gospel so that his ways may be known. Known to whom? That your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among whom? Well, at least the countries that have a similar culture to ours. I mean, that will be easy for us to get in there and, and plant churches, and they won't try to kill us when we do that. And well, well, at least the countries that don't encourage their people to fly planes into our buildings or behead Christians on live TV. Let, I mean, you know, let's just put them to the side. Let's go to the other ones. Is that what the text says? Was that the psalmist's purpose? What was the psalmist's purpose? All. Now, I am seminary trained, and I'm here to tell you this morning that all means all. Do you have that conviction? How are you praying for North Korea? How are you praying for Cuba? How are you praying for Latin America? How are you praying for Sudan and some of those African Countries where if they find out you're a Christian, they will cut your head off. How are you praying for them? How are you burdened for them? We're not merely to spread the gospel to just some. We're to spread them to all. And in the midst of all of this, what is Satan doing? He's whispering into our ear, 
What you need is fame. What you need that will make you happy is fortune. I mean, you can still go to church. You can still be a good Christian. You can come and tithe, and, and you can, can take one of those handouts they're going to give you for the Honduran team, and you can pray once. You can do all of that, and, 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 but it, it's really about you being comfortable. That's what Satan is whispering in our ear. Listen to this quote by J. Campbell White. I think I've got it there on the back of your handout. J. Campbell White said this, most men are not satisfied with the permanent output of their lives. Nothing can wholly satisfy the life of Christ within his followers except the adoption of Christ's purpose toward the world he came to redeem. Fame, pleasure, and riches are but husks and ashes in contrast with the boundless and abiding joy of working with God for the fulfillment of his eternal plans. The men who are putting everything into Christ's undertaking are getting out of life its sweetest, and most priceless rewards. Someday you and I are going to stand before the Lord and we are going to give an account for every day, every moment, everything, every possession, every family member, every word that came out of my mouth, every decision that I made. And the question is, is the overall output of my life, did it accomplish God's purposes for his glory or not? Because I agree with Campbell White. I think that for those who are putting everything, they're singing that song and they're doing it, they're putting everything into that work, both here and abroad. They are getting the blessing of God. It's true, when we align our life purpose with God's, this brings true and lasting satisfaction. Remember, Jesus said this in Luke eleven twenty eight. Luke eleven twenty eight. Jesus said this, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. When you hear my words, to go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching and baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. When you hear those words, and when you do those words, what does Jesus Christ promise you? Blessing. Joy. And it may not be blessing like you and I think, a Ferrari. Some of you single guys are like, hey, a beautiful gal. And the Ferrari, that would be like a twofer. It may not be that for you. But it's going to be satisfaction in a way that God knows what you need and he's going to give it to you in that time. And guess what? It may not be something earthly. It may be something eternal in heaven that's being stored up for you. You may never see that blessing here on earth. But guess what? If you hear and do, God promises to bless. James 1.25. Don't just be a hearer who hears the word. It's like looking in a mirror and then you walk away and you forget what you look like. But then in James 1.25, James says, the effectual doer will be blessed in what he does. When you do, you will be blessed. Why? The more I obey, the less sin I have in my life. The less sin I have in my life, the less consequences of sin resulting in greater peace. And as people see you and I hearing, obeying, doing, loving, more peace, more joy, doesn't mean we're free of trouble or or pain, or suffering, or health issues, or people hating us, or again, persecution that's going to happen, but there's greater joy in here, and as they see that light in your family, in your life, what should they be drawn to? The thing that caused it, in this case, the person that caused it, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so then we take everything he's given us, we throw our very lives into the purposes of the Father, and what are the purposes of our Father? Look at our text. Verse 2, the Father longs to be known. Verses 3 and 5, he longs to be, be praised. Verse 4, he longs to be enjoyed. Let the nations be glad. Let them, let them be happy in him. In verse 7, he longs to be feared among all the peoples of the earth. That's what we're about. You don't have to be a missionary to find this kind of deep and lasting satisfaction. Some of you are like, whew. You know, I think I used to think it was my calling to make you all feel bad that you weren't going to be missionaries. For that, I'm sorry. I used to guilt you, stand up here, and try to shame you into going to be a missionary. Has God called all of you to be a missionary? That is kind of a trick question. I'm going to admit it. Has God called all... Okay, let me be clear. I, I make a living communicating. Has God called all of you to be a missionary in a foreign land? No. 
You can affirmatively say, no, he hasn't. And that's okay. But what has he called every man, woman, and child who professes the name of Jesus Christ to be? What? Are you unsure? What does he call you to be? An evangelist. To be about the work of the kingdom. He's called you to it. He's called me to it. You don't have to be a missionary to find this kind of deep and lasting satisfaction. But if you want to be satisfied with the lasting output of your life, you can't just go on as business as usual, doing your work, making money, giving tithe, eating, sleeping, playing, serving at the church. You and I, we have to stop. We have to pray. We have to think about our particular time and place in life and how it fits in with the great purpose of God to be known and praised and enjoyed and feared among all the peoples of the earth. And quite honestly, this is why Ethan and Vi and Liz Payne are in Uganda right now. Taking time off work, taking their vacation time to be in Uganda. I always tell people, I'll go anywhere for two weeks. I love short-term mission trips because if it goes bad and I get sick and there's no air conditioning, guess what? Two weeks, where am I back in? my comfortable bed with air conditioning. To go there for weeks or months is hard. This is why we do outreach through sports on Monday night, basketball, Tuesday nights, soccer. It's why we had a golf tournament three weeks ago to bless the community, to bring unbelievers. It's why we have kids camp. It's why we have kids from our Conroe shelter coming to our church this Thursday night, we will be in this room for anchor ministry. Some of these kids are coming out of broken homes. Some of their families can't care for them. Some of their family, their family members got in prison. Some of them were rescued out of sex trafficking. These are the most world-aware kids I've ever met. They're going to be here in our church Thursday. You're like, I don't even like kids. That's not a ministry for me. That's okay. Well, I guess it's not okay that you don't like kids. You need to repent of that. But you're like, kid ministry, it's not for me. Well, fine, pray for us. West Hood's going to be sharing the gospel with these kids Thursday night. Pray that God would open their hearts and save them. That's why we have Coffee House Ministry Friday. Maybe that's more your thing, drinking coffee, bringing friends, relational evangelism, coming, prayered up, God, use me. Help me to have spiritual conversations with these people that they may come to know Christ. And this is why our pastor gave each and every one of you members a book on evangelism. Have you read it yet? Have you? Why did Pastor Ken give you that book? So that you would get pumped up about your role in local evangelism through this church. So I want you to do something for me. Ask yourself this question. How are you using your time and your treasures and your talents, whether it's around the world or whether it's right across the street, how are you using all of the blessings that God has given you now for the sake of his name? How are you doing it? Because if you're not, you need to repent. I need to repent. What did you do with that extra money you got from your last pay raise? From your tax refund? How much time are you spending fixing up your home versus coming and serving and fixing up God's, the local church? Students, how many of you are actively using a a class assignment or being intentional, maybe you have a speech class. How many of you love speech class? Didn't think so. I don't blame you. It's terrifying getting up and talking in front of people. You can't see my knees. They're knocking right now. Speech class about your testimony of faith. How could you use that for the sake of the gospel? doesn't matter what age you are. You can... Use whatever God's given you, the blessings that he's given you, and turn around and figure out how can I share this good news with others. The psalmist prayed for God's blessing 
in verse 1, so that in verse 2, all the peoples would come to know and pray, praise and obey God. So we saw the psalmist's petition. We saw the psalmist's pur- purpose. Let's look at the third aspect of this prayer, the psalmist's passion. The psalmist's passion. Here we get to the core of the psalm. We read verses 3 through 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. You'll notice verse 3 and 5 are exactly the same. This is a literary device called an inclusio. It emphasizes truth through repetition, verses 3 and 5 being the same, but it also does something. It sets apart the core verse in verse 4. That's really the core. In fact, it's kind of like an Oreo cookie. That's me. My illustration's got to go with what I love. When you open up an Oreo cookie box and you take an Oreo cookie out, you look at it, there's two cookies. You like the cookie. The cookie's okay. But what's the point of the cookie? To protect the good stuff, right? And that's really what verses 3 and 5 are doing. They're functioning as a way to draw your attention to what's happening in verse 4. Notice the psalmist says, let the nations praise you, O God. Let all, again, that all, that all-inclusive, all the peoples praise you. Why? Verse 4, let the nations be glad. Let them sing for joy. For you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Who is this God? I mean, he's, he, the psalmist is inviting all of the nations, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, to come and praise the one true God, Elohim. Who is this God? Well, the psalmist reminds us, even in this psalm, Verse 1 says he's a God of grace. Verse 2 says he's a God of salvation. Verse 4 says he is a God of justice. And here, this this idea of of justice, of judging the peoples with uprightness, it doesn't necessarily have the, like he's just looking with a whacker, whacking, whacking, whacking. It's more has the idea of he is going to undo the wrong. He's going to make the wrong right. Verse 4 says he's a God of of power and guidance. It says that he will guide the nations on the earth. Again, think about it. If God is the one who's being just, is there justice in this world? No. How often do you think that's not fair? Well, guess what? God is the one who's going to right that wrong. And so as the world looks at God, they're going to say, hey, that's a God that I want to follow. I want him to guide me. I think that's the idea in that verse 4. And then verse 6, of course, says he's a God of provision. The earth is yielded, its produce. God, our God, blesses us. These are just a handful of God's attributes, just a, a smattering of them. And even within this one psalm, they are awesome. That's the God that, that knows you and loves you and sent us in to die for you. That's the God that you have the privilege to use everything for him, to praise him and thank him. And so we have, let all the peoples praise. It's the mission of God that men and women from every tribe and tongue and nation would acknowledge their sinfulness and need for, a, for Christ as a Savior. And again, when will this occur? Going all the way to Revelation, Revelation 7, 9, where it says, every, the name of Christ, every knee will what? Every knee will bow. People from every tribe and tongue and nation and people group And until the time when God collects all of those people together, he's waiting, giving you and I more opportunity to be a part of his work. Verse 4 confirms for us that missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church, but rather worship is. As Dr. John Piper reminds us, missions exist because worship does not. Did you get that? Missions exist because worship does not. Someday soon, Christ is going to return. The mission will end. But what about worship? Will worship ever end? For all of eternity, we will be praising God. So the psalmist's passion is to see the nations not only praising him, which implies what? You can't praise God if you don't know him. So it implies they have come to know him, but also to see the nations enjoying and being fully satisfied in him. 
I've got this quote from Dr. Piper on the back. It's one of his more famous quotes from his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. Piper states this, Worship is the fuel and goal in missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions, we simply aim to bring the nations into the white, hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. He wants people from every tribe and tongue, every cultural background, to get excited about that great God, to be glad in him. And that's the point of missions. So the psalmist's passion is to see the nations come to know and praise and enjoy God forever. Well, how is this going to happen? Just really quickly, at least two primary ways. How will this happen? Number one, by the power of God in his people. By the power of God in his people. And then secondly, by the power of God's word through his people. Let's look at that first one. By the power of God in his people. We could simply just call this lifestyle evangelism. As people see you living for Christ, loving him, taking everything, your life, everything he's given you, and just turning around and using it for his glory, they're going to be drawn to that. Or, Paul tells the Corinthians, they're going to be what? (laughs) For some, it's an aroma of life unto life, and for others, it's an aroma of death unto death. But for the ones that God is calling, they will see you, and they will be drawn to you like a moth to the flame. That's the power of God in his people. But then there's also the power of God's word through his people. Simply evangelism. Evangelism to fulfill the great commission. Turn with me to 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10. 1 Peter 2, going all the way to the other side of the the Bible. I love this passage, 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 9. Peter says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So that, again, why are we chosen? Why are his people? Why are we his people? So that you may live a comfortable life, get a good job, send your kids to a great school, nominally participate in your local church, and go to heaven someday. Shall we close in prayer? Is that what it says? Why has God saved you, church? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you had received mercy. Compare and contrast. What were we? Dead, in darkness, going to hell, damned. What are we now because of Christ, alive, full of mercy, in light? And because of that gospel reality, what should it motivate us to do? Proclaim the excellencies of him who saved us. Romans 15, 15 to 16 is very similar in that it calls us to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Paul told the Romans in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so what do we do? We proclaim the gospel. We proclaim the word. How? With boldness. Why? Because Hebrews 4.12 says, it alone has the power, it's living and active, to penetrate men's hearts. My question is simple. Why don't we share the gospel? I don't think it's because we haven't been trained. I don't think it's because we haven't received enough resources. I don't think it's because we don't know the Bible commands us to. I think we fail to share the gospel for the simple reason that we have forgotten how truly great our salvation is. It's possible that we fail to share the gospel because we care too much about the wrong things. We care too much about our retirement account. We care too much about how people perceive us on social media. We care too much about video games. We care too much about my house and my new car. We care too much about the wrong things. 
We become so self-absorbed in our own comfortable world that we lose sight of the approaching wrath of God on the nations. And guess what? It's coming. There are two kinds of people out there. Those who are going to heaven and those who are not. We take what God blesses us with, our salvation, our money, our things, our accomplishments, our health, and just like Scrooge, we hoard it all to ourselves, trying to make our present temporary passing life easy and secure. And we don't seem to care that people all over the world do not know Jesus and are going to hell. I met people every month in Albania who had never heard the gospel clearly explained. Never heard it. Why had they never heard it? Because enough churches hadn't been planted. People hadn't gotten saved enough to reach every part of Albania. There were people who had never heard the gospel. That's true right now. And God is not glorified by these nations. He's not receiving the glory that he is due. I mean, is it any wonder that our American churches send out fewer and fewer missionaries into the world? In fact, I, I did some research on this. The Center for the Study of Global Christianity reported recently that in terms of missionaries sent per million church members, so this is a percentage, the U.S. has fallen to the ninth spot. We used to be number one. For the amount of Christians that we have, we should be sending this many missionaries. We used to send the most. Now we're, sending, now we're in the ninth spot. Is it possible that our American prosperity is causing that? I think so. When I was in seminary, I went to all my friends and I said, hey, what are you doing? I'm going to go pastor. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do this. I said, why don't you pray about being a missionary? They're like, no. Literally, one out of every probably 30 graduates from seminary, when I mentioned that I was going overseas, they're like, God bless you. I'm praying for you. I would never want to do that. I'm like, why not? It's heartbreaking. You know the countries that are sending more? Brazil, South Korea, China. China is sending more missionaries per every million Christians than we are. America is falling out of that spot. Does it even bother you to realize that you haven't shared the gospel with someone this past week? Does it bother you? You haven't shared the gospel with someone this past month? Does it bother you you haven't shared the gospel with anyone this past year? Does that hurt your heart? I think the church in America has become lazy. And again, I'm speaking of the universal church here in America, not just Lakeside. We, I think we have become lazy, self-absorbed consumers. God has not saved us so we can be comfortable, free of persecution and trouble. God has saved us so that we might bring him glory by using everything he's blessed us with so that we might make sure the people of this world know that he is the one true God who alone is worthy to be praised. Well, we've seen the first three aspects of the psalmist's prayer, the petition, the purpose, the passion. Lastly, we have the prospect. The prospect. This is just really quick. Verses six to seven. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. So when, we, when I say the psalmist prospect, I'm, I'm simply talking about his confident expectation. This is the prospect that he is expecting to happen because of his knowledge of God. He says, the earth has yielded its produce. In fact, this is the only time in the Hebrew that the psalmist reverts to a past tense expression. All the other ones are present or future. Just as God has provided for his people in the past, so too can we take this as a promise for his provision in the future. In fact, if you have an NIV, they translate it as future. ESV and some other ones, I think ESV, they translate it as a present. So again, the, the interpreters are a little bit unsure how to take this. It doesn't really matter how you take it, past, present, future. What's the point? God has provided, God what? Is providing, and God what? Will provide, amen? You believe that? It all comes from him. He richly supplies us with all things to enjoy, including the harvest. And even as the psalmist who has asked for God's blessing, he's now confident that such blessings would surely be extended, even practically in the form of harvest, to feed the people of Israel. 
Verse 7, we have another that. We have another so that grammatically. Why does God bless us? Notice it's not about us. God blesses us so that they would come to fear God. That's why he's blessed us. Because as the nations witness the sovereign provision of the Lord with his people, it causes them to fear and to worship him as the Lord. And as he demonstrates his power and his might and provision, this is the psalmist's prospect, his confident expectation that the Lord will provide for his people, resulting in further praise of God. I titled this message the way I did because this is the purpose of God's blessing. People's praise. That's why he has blessed you and me. Well, in conclusion, this morning, we've studied the four aspects of the psalmist's prayer for the nations. And again, I ask you, do you pray this way? Do you have this burning conviction in your heart for God's blessing to shine upon you, to shine upon his church, so that we might in turn be used to see the nations glorify God? You know, in the years and months leading to us go to Albania, this was all I talked about. Many of you knew me back then, didn't you? I was like a broken record. You're like, Chris, get a life. It's all you talk about. Missions, 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 missions. We know. We're in Albania for nine years. Every day I wake up and I walk around the city and I'm reminded of the need. It was a burning passion. I'm just going to tell you. To my shame, since we had to come off the mission field in 2016, my passion has become dull. This message is not for you, it's for me. This psalm is for me. I've lost that burning desire to see the nations come to praise and know God. And I know my heart. Part of it is because I just get so comfortable here. And maybe you do too. But I want you to know I'm in the fight. And I hope you're in the fight too. The fight to take it, to thank God for it, all the blessing, to pray for God's blessing, and then to turn around and say, God, what do you want me to do with this? For the days that I have left, how do you want me to spend them? Because it's from you and it's for you. I hope that's your prayer. I hope you're in the fight not to let the American dream and the prosperity that we enjoy to dull our passion to bring the gospel to the nations. How can you take your time, your talents, your treasure? How are you going to use them this week so that others may come to know Jesus Christ? Because the reality is you're either going or you're sending, you're praying, you're giving, you're doing if you're not doing any of those, then what are you doing? John Piper says you're sinning. I'm sinning. And the reality is, do you have any excuse? Just this week, we have four opportunities for you to come be a part of the gospel work. And here's the kicker. Buckle up. Do you want to know when God will most likely begin to, to really begin to bless and prosper you? when you resolve to use the Lord's blessings in your life for the sake of bringing the gospel to the nations. I believe that with all my heart. Some of us do not experience that full blessing because we have not resolved to take it all, take everything, my heart, my life, and use it for you, O oh Lord. You want to be blessed? Buckle up. Resolve to use it for the sake of his name. May the Lord bless us so that we might spread his ways to all the earth. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am convicted of the words of the psalmist, because at the end of the day, this is your heart. You love to bless us. You love to, to look down upon us with your face shining, blessing us, equipping us so that your way may be known on the earth as we take everything you've given us and use it for your gospel work. 
And Lord, I confess, I do not have a burning passion to see the peoples praise you like I should. Lord, forgive me. Give us a burning desire to see the nations be glad in you and to sing for joy the Muslims and the Buddhists, the Roman Catholic who's trusting in Jesus plus works right down the street, the moralist who goes to church and doesn't truly believe or know the gospel. Would you use us, give us an opportunity this week, Lord God, to share our faith, to share the gospel with someone who is right now on their way to hell. And would you please continue to make Lakeside Bible Church, an equipping church, a sending church, a missional church. Because after all that you have done for us, how could we not do this for your glory? In the name of Christ we pray. And all God's people said, amen.